This is the Kona Edge, the home of Ironman triathletes who dream of qualifying for the World Championships on the Big Island. Welcome back. This is the Kona Edge. My name is Brad Brown. And uh, before I get into today's podcast, just a huge thank you to everyone who sent us, uh, well, wishes last week. The Kona Edge turning one, uh, one year old. And uh, yeah, it's been an amazing, amazing year. Roller coaster, lots of highs, lots of lows. But gee, I would not change it for a thing. Uh, if you missed last week's episode, I told you, quarter of a million downloads in uh, the first year. We have listeners in 142 different countries, which I think is just absolutely mind-blowing. So again, I, I said it last week, and I and I really do mean it. Thank you for, for being part of this incredible journey and, and helping me sort of uh, spread my love for the sport that uh, we all so enjoy. Today's podcast, uh, or the guest, is someone very, very special, and I'll tell you a little bit more about her in just a second, but uh, I mentioned on last week's podcast, too, that you are running out of time if you'd like to enter our contest to win an Ironman entry, and that's an Ironman or a 70.3 entry. All you have to do is head over to thekonaedge.com forward slash win. We are announcing the winner a week from today, if you're listening to this on the day we... uh we publish it. Uh, today is 30th of November. The 5th of December is when we are uh, announcing that winner. So make sure that you listen to that podcast. If you haven't subscribed to the Cone Edge, just head into iTunes and hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out. Uh, and it could be you. All you have to do is leave us a review and a rating on iTunes and head over to that page, thekonaedge.com forward slash win. That's W-I-N. Uh, and you can get all the details on how you can enter that contest. Over the year, uh, this past year, I've pretty much opened up my email inbox to you as a listener and said if there's anyone that you think I should chat to here on the podcast who's raced on the Big Island and has got a pretty incredible story, I'd love to hear about it. Please give me a heads up. And uh, I get lots of emails. Uh, and uh, there's people from all around the world that uh, do get sort of referred to me through that sort of method. But there's one name that's kept on popping up in my inbox over and over and over. And she's officially the most requested guest here on the podcast. And I finally managed to track her down. And uh, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome onto the podcast today. Not only is she an incredible athlete, so is her hubby. And she's a brilliant coach to boot. She's got a, a very scientific background, so she understands the ins and outs of what it takes to perform at the highest level uh, as a professional and an age grouper, and I am super excited to welcome onto the Kona Edge today, Marnie Sumbo. Well, it's a great pleasure to uh, head all the way to South Carolina to welcome our next guest onto the podcast, Marnie Sumbal. Marnie, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Brad, for having me. I'm excited to be here today. I have to tell you, I often on the podcast ask uh, people to, to pop me an email and uh, tell me if there's someone that they think I should chat to on the podcast. And I haven't told you this, but you are the most requested guest. I get emails... <laughs> literally all the time saying you have to chat to Arnie. She is incredible. Uh, she's married to a phenomenal athlete as well. Between the two of them, they are fantastic. We finally got you on. Thank you for taking the time to chat to us. Well, that's such a nice compliment. And I guess I can share all our secrets now. I, I hope you're going to. I mean, I've got my pen and paper. I'm going to be taking <laughs> copious amounts of notes, but uh, let's let's delve into it. Marnie, where did, where did your love for, for triathlon come from and particularly Ironman? 
Oh, this is a great story. So I grew up as a swimmer, a competitive swimmer, and I never specialized in long distance. I did the butterfly distance, mid-distance, and I moved to graduate school in Florida from Kentucky because where else would you go to graduate school than in Florida? So I went to graduate school to uh, earn my math degree in exercise physiology because I wanted to be a strength and conditioning coach. And I really missed the competitive swimming aspect of my life. I was a student, but I wasn't an athlete anymore. And I was doing gym classes and aerobic classes, but it just, it wasn't the same. It wasn't giving me that, that feeling of being competitive that I missed so much. So Uh, a friend that I had met at the gym, he said, why don't you sign up for a marathon? And I was like, sure, why not? (laughs) I'll do a marathon. (laughs) I've only ran six miles before, but why not? And um, so I ended up developing a little training plan for myself when I was in graduate school. And it was a nice thing for me because I was able to kind of check out of that stressful life and and to do the, the running more specifically. And prior to that, I had dabbled into one or two sprint Olympic distance triathlons on a hybrid bicycle and just found it to be fun. But I really felt like my love was in this running and checking off these longer distances every run. It was just very contagious. And I guess you could say I was a little bit addicted to it. So I ended up running my first marathon, which was the Miami Marathon in 2005. And after the race, I ran a 338 And I finished the race. I was so happy. And people were coming up to me and they said, Marnie, you qualify for Boston. And I was like, what's Boston? I had no idea what this running event was because I had just been so overwhelmed with swimming for all my life and running so popular in, in Florida. So, um, so that was kind of the, the first dabble into endurance sports. And then, as you know, for most athletes, it, it goes pretty quickly. So, oh, all right, I did a marathon. Let's do an Ironman. <laughs> it's a natural progression, isn't it? <laughs> it's very, very natural. I don't recommend it. <laughs> no, absolutely not. As, as far as ability wise, you, you mentioned being a competitive swimmer. Did, did, the, the sort of competitiveness switch over straight away or or has that come with time? You know, I never have really considered myself a, a very competitive person trying to beat other people. I think one thing that I learned with endurance sports is that I was competitive with myself. So I really love this idea of, you know, I can be better than I was yesterday. And because there's always a new workout, there's always a longer distance. And I think that's what really kept me into this endurance sport since uh, 2006 when I did my first Ironman. And uh, you've done a, a good few since then as well. It's, uh, you talk about the being involved and and trying to get better, but it's a fine line. It's it's a very fine balance between doing enough and keeping yourself interested and burning yourself out, isn't it? Yeah, and I have to say that over the past eleven Ironmans and ten years that I've been doing this sport, I've never had any serious issues with burnout. And I, I'm not sure if it's it's something I need to dive into and to discuss and maybe even figure it out for myself how it's how it's been possible. But I think this idea of just wanting to improve, but not getting too overwhelmed with all the many ways to improve. So just kind of focusing on my development has just kept me excited. And I did get into a little bit of trouble when I did my first Ironman because I got good really fast and I qualified for Kona after my first Ironman. 
And I don't think that that was really a great thing. You know, it's great on the resume, but for myself to, to win my age group, the 18 to 24 age group at Ironman Florida and, and just to miss breaking 11 hours at my first Ironman, although it was very exciting, I got into a lot of trouble with myself because like many athletes, I just assumed, well, what I'm doing now is great. Let's just keep doing more. It's interesting you say that, and and I wanted to delve into that, particularly from a scientific background, because you you do come from from a, a very scientific background. I mean, you're you're a certified sport dietitian. You mentioned uh, the master's degree in sports science as well. Have you been very analytical about what you've done throughout your your Ironman career? Boy, that that's a good question. I think the answer may surprise people, and the answer is no. Um, I'm not a very techie type person. I don't keep spreadsheets. I don't uh, calculate uh, my calories. I don't weigh my food. I don't get obsessed with the numbers. But at the same time, I love the idea of applying research to real world settings. So I think of myself as my own case study. And rather than trying to apply every little piece of information and track everything meticulously, I try to really think about how I'm perceiving an effort, how I'm adapting to the training, how nutrition is working for me. And so I'm able to take these principles that we apply or we learn from in the lab and then take them and apply them to the real world. Do you, do you think there's a risk in, in that you push yourself sort of beyond where you possibly should push or you would push maybe an athlete of yours that you were coaching? Do you almost, are you almost like a guinea pig that you're testing things out that maybe you wouldn't possibly test out on someone else? Well, I, I definitely try to keep within my philosophy where we, we try to maximize our athletes' performance and fitness, but without compromising their health. So I certainly have my boundaries as to what I will apply and the methods that I'll use. Um, but at the same time, it, this may be a little surprising, but I think that it really does help in some ways to be challenged, to be pushed. And I think it's good for us to fail at times. So I think with the, you know, applying different principles and scientific methods, I think part of that is learning what works best for you. And when you do that, you have to be open to either the consequences or the risks or, uh, that knowing that it didn't work for you. So I'm very careful to make sure that the consequences and the risks do not keep me from being healthy and consistently improving with my endurance performance. I'm very interested in that, and, and I, it fascinates me. And, and I'm glad you touched on the the possibly, in your first one, almost doing too well and, and going too fast in it, because I, I think a lot of people do that. They get involved in the sport, and, and they're almost into an Ironman before they've even done a sprint. And, and I'm putting my hand up here because I'm guilty. That's how I got into the sprint. <laughs> I, that's, uh, my first sprint was en route to my first Ironman. And you also mentioned about maximizing performance but not affecting your health. That's a, that's a, a real issue within our sport isn't it? Yeah, I, I do think it is. I think sometimes we forget um, how much of a toll an Ironman or even a half Ironman places on the human body. It's a, it's a big stressor for the body. And, you know, there's two parts to this. I think the first one is that sometimes athletes forget to nail the basics. And that's something that I didn't do. And I continued to fail to do for many years. And it wasn't until the last few years when I really saw almost this, uh, this significant improvement in my athletic performance and how I could perform 
in these endurance events is that I just, I needed to go back to nailing the basics again and, and, and maybe something that I never learned before. And then the other side of it is just, you know, don't change the winning formula. And I think sometimes athletes do well or they have a good race and then they look for, okay, what's the next best thing I can do when we have to remember that in endurance sports, you know, when your physiology changes in a season, it's just one season. So you can keep getting better and you don't really have to change a lot. That's fantastic. Let's talk about those basics. And uh, a lot of people come into the sports and, and don't look for help and, and try and wing it on their own. What what are those basics that you, you should master before, before going on and, and, and sort of maybe achieving what you can achieve? Yeah. You know, and, and before I go into this, I do have to say that, you know, if there are any coaches that are listening or athletes, of course, I assume that a lot of athletes are listening, but I think for us, for me and my husband who are athletes and I, you know, top level athletes in our age group, but also coaches, I think it's good to have a few mentors to give guidance because our sport is changing very quickly. And there's, there's coaches that have a lot of uh, great experience working with a lot of athletes. And so I think it's really good that when it comes to this idea of nailing the basics, that you really surround yourself with people who have a similar philosophy of yours. And so that way it helps you guide, you know, what are these basics? What are these fundamentals that you're working on and understanding why you're doing it? And, and you mentioned the, the philosophies. That's that's key too. That, that there are there's not just one that works. I mean, there's there's various philosophies. There's there's slight changes, and and you've got to find something you're comfortable with and, and that works for you. We, we're all yeah. an experiment of one. Not 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 the, well, two people won't necessarily respond the same way to the same stimulus. Yeah, very, very true. And I'm sure even for yourself, you know, with with your progression of races, you probably noticed that one season was very different from the next season, maybe just because of your stressors in life, not necessarily the training. Yeah, one, one thing I've learned this season, Moni, is that training actually helps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when you stick to a schedule, it works. Or if you don't, it doesn't work. <laughs> more more that yeah. way. It's been one of those years, un unfortunately. <laughs> Let, let's you'll, talk you'll get... You'll get back in there. No one took away your athlete status. You'll be back. No, absolutely. And and once you've got the medal, you've got the medal. No one's taking that away from me either. So that's nope. uh, that's what it boils down to. Let, let's talk about sort of your your performances and and uh, as far as you, you've raced, like you said, you've you've raced a number of these things. What what are you most proud of as an athlete? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I think that. There's a few, but if I had to pick one thing that I was most proud of is just really enjoying every journey that I've been on. I have never gotten myself to the point in training for an Ironman, which as you know, training for an Ironman, it, you make a lot of sacrifices, you, you, do, you invest a lot, um, but I never let myself get too obsessed with what I'm doing. So I try not to forget that I, I need to enjoy this. I need to have a lot of fun. And I need to have some clear goals so I know why I'm putting in this hard work. As far as disappointments, what's been your biggest disappointment as an athlete? Well, I think that my biggest disappointment is, you know, making some mistakes early on and not and, and trying to be impatient. I was impatient and, ra and rather than focusing on taking a few steps backwards and really figuring out 
like with some long chronic hip and back issues, you know, what's the root of these issues? Instead of just signing up for another race and hoping that I would be better, um, I, I think I was very disappointed with my approach to racing because I was just training for one race at a time. And I've learned that that doesn't really help develop you as an athlete and it doesn't give you consistency in training. You mentioned consistency, and, and I was thinking of the word before you actually said it. That is half the battle won right there, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And and if anybody knows me, and I've been very public with this through my social media and my blog, is that I had six years of chronic hip and back issues. Um, it was all muscle and tendon and everything uh, beside bone related, and it was very frustrating. And all of a sudden, I started to kind of fine-tune my movements and get more into the basics and the fundamentals again. And now I've been able to, in this May, will be four years of being injury-free. And and I think that's probably one of my best um, accolades as to our training philosophy is just trying to keep the body in good health. And if you're healthy, you can perform really well. Yeah, it, it's interesting, and and I th I think a lot of triathletes get into or, or fall into that trap where they do pick up a niggle, and and they almost try and train through it and think that it's going to get better without addressing the the issues, and and that is also another another big uh, thing that does need to be addressed in the sport, and and athletes really need to take a, a good hard look at themselves and and figure out what the problem is and get it sorted. Yeah, yeah, I think it's really true, and you know you can't you can't overlook every or the little niggles, but at the same time, you can't obsess about every niggle. So it's trying to understand your body. And and I will jump in on this because I think you bring up a really good point with these niggles and, and understanding your body and to help be consistent is a lot of athletes these days are getting very hyper obsessed with metrics and they're forgetting the they don't have the capacity to listen to their body, to be very intuitive, to be an active participant with workouts and races. And so I think that's one thing that may help athletes be more consistent is, you know, monitor your metrics, but don't obsess over them. Yeah, it's, I mean, what 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 gets measured does improve. But like you say, we, we do get obsessed and, and there's always new gadgets being brought in and new power meters mm -hmm. and new heart rate monitors and new this and that. And it's so easy to get caught up thinking that is what's going to give us uh, give us the edge but uh, we forget the the sort of vital signs that our body is telling us yeah and you know like for example on on the bike the bike has been my greatest improvement over the past two years there's a few reasons for that moving to our bike friendly playground here in greenville has helped um but i didn't even know how to ride a bike i didn't know how to sit on a bike my husband is from europe he grew up as a cyclist he, he raced a bike all his life. He didn't race by power and heart rate and all these metrics. He just grew up riding a bike and I never learned to do that. And then I got the power meter and the race wheels and everything and the aero helmet, but I had no idea how to be one with my bike. And so once I figure that out, my performance improved. It's interesting you say that because it's almost a case of you want to say to someone, throw away all those gadgets and just go and ride your bike and, 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 and learn to love it because that's, that's what you're going to need to do when, when times get tough and it's, it's hard. You, you need to love what you're doing. 
Yeah, yeah. We do a lot of one-on-one work, um, private camps with athletes, mostly because of where we live. But my husband's such a specialist on on the bike, and we just help people learn how to ride. And I, I'm pretty lucky to be married to my bike mechanic and someone who <laughs> said, you know, you're going to learn how to ride your bike. And he put me into what I would say are some very scary and uncomfortable situations. But it isn't until you learn how to do these turns and descend and climb properly that you really can take your fitness to the next level. You talk about your hubby, Carl. He's, uh, he's uh, you say he's your bike mechanic, but uh, by all accounts, he's, he's pretty good when it comes to bike fitting as well. He, he knows the ins and outs of, of that. So it definitely helps having that in your camp too. Yes. Yeah. Proper bike fit had really helped me out. A lot of my hip issues were just coming from my posture on the bike. I never knew how to sit on the bike. So that's been a a great help as well. I'm pretty lucky when it comes to that area. He can do all the bike work and I can make the food. You mentioned he's a he's a great cyclist, but he's he's a very good triathlete in his own right as well. He raced in in Kona this year too. That that must prove for, for interesting dynamics at home. Yeah, it's been pretty incredible to see his progress because he started, Corel started triathlons in 2012. Um, after many years of Cat One bike racing, he was a great sprinter and crit racer, um, enjoyed the long distance as well, um, but he had a lot of punchy power. And um, he, he just got burnt out and he wanted to do something different. So why not do a triathlon? I had nothing to do with this. I enjoyed the cycling races. I enjoyed, we each had our own sport. Um, but it was fun to see his progress. He learned to swim in 2012. Um, I guess you could call it swimming, Um, but he was moving (laughs) through the pool and uh, he did his first half in the end of 2012. We did the Branson 70.3 simply because it's not around anymore, but we did it because it was rated as one of the hardest bike courses. Um, And then we did our first Ironman in 2013 and he qualified for Kona in 2014. What an incredible story, but uh, yeah, fantastic indeed. Marnie, tell me a little bit about sort of from a coaching perspective. And I mentioned athletes, there are quite a few who, who sort of just wing it and do their own thing, but there are some that, that do look for help. What would, what would you say someone should look for in a coach and, and, and someone to help them on this journey? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. You know, when athletes sign up for the half or full distance, I really encourage them to have a training plan or a coach. And they need guidance because it's really easy to underperform and it's really easy to have that fear-based training where you do too much. And so having someone to guide you, preferably someone with a lot of experience, which means, you know, successes, but also making mistakes so that the athlete doesn't make them as well. I think that's important to have a coach. Number one, I think that they should have a similar philosophy to you. So what are the things that they incorporate into their training methodologies or how they train their athletes that that are important to you? Um, And some athletes will pick coaches that favor high volume training because the athlete likes high volume training. We don't know if the athlete's going to do well with high volume training, but, you know, at least it's a start so you know what you will will get from your coach. So I think that the philosophy is is very important. Um, and then learning about the coach and learning from the athletes that they have coached. So discussing with other people who have worked with that coach, preferably more than six months, because I think it takes many, many months to adapt to a new training system, uh, if not years. So having 
an athlete who's been under a coach's supervision for maybe two years and asking them, you know, what did you like? What did you not like? Let me know a little bit more about your training. And that way there's no guessing. Um, and then the last thing I would say with, with having a coach is you have to be careful not to bring your mentality of how you think you should be doing things. Because if your coach and if it is a full-time coach that really dedicates their, their whole focus to the athlete, um, that this, this coach is really going to look out for you. And sometimes athletes will say, well, I should be doing this. Why am I not doing this? Or I did this last time. You know, why am I not doing it again? And, and I think that creates a tough relationship between the coach and the athlete. Trust is important in that relationship, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, very much so. And, and it's, you, you talk about questioning. As an athlete, sometimes you do need to, to question, but it's, it's once you've got the reasoning, if, if you agree, then, then, then do it. But if, if it, you, you find where you, you're disagreeing on, on the reasoning, maybe it's then time to move on. And, and that's also an important point in, in, in an athlete's career. You, you might not necessarily find a coach for life. You, you might, a coach might outgrow you or you might outgrow a coach. Yeah. And that, that's a really good point. And, and I think that you say it with the tone of, you know, that's just part of, part of being an athlete is that you, you can go from coach to coach, but give that coach an opportunity, a chance to really develop you and, and to work with you. Would you suggest if, if someone's starting out in the sports, should they, should they go the coaching route straight up or, or should they try and figure things out uh, themselves for, for a while before going down that road? Well, there's kind of two parts to this. Number one is if you have a half or a full Ironman on your schedule, I would say get a coach right away because there are a lot of mistakes that a, a newer athlete that maybe is training for this event for the first time, many mistakes that they can make and many, many costly mistakes with their health. And so I would say having someone to guide you is probably the best investment you can make. The second part of this is don't assume that a coach can get you to where you want to be if you haven't nailed the basics or built a, a good background for yourself. And so I'm very careful with our athletes when someone comes to me and says, you know, I'm training for my first Ironman. Will you coach me? Um, you know, I, I have to look at this and say, you know, well, maybe in a few years you will be a great Ironman athlete. But first, we really need to develop your skills, you know, make you a more resilient athlete, whatever they need to improve on. So I wouldn't just, I wouldn't have an athlete just assume that, okay, this coach will make you great in a season. Do you think there's an ideal sort of build up time to, to an Ironman from, from maybe starting out and doing your first sprint up to your first full Ironman race? Or is it again, horses for courses and uh, it depends on the individual? I think it, it really depends on the individual. And certainly me and my husband are not the prime examples of this because we <laughs> progress very quickly. But I also think it's because we, we had the endurance background. Um, we were able, I, I consider us very robust athletes, very um, strength focused athletes. So we're not very fragile in that sense. Um, so we don't break down as easily. So I think it worked for us in our favor. But for a lot of our athletes, we really hold them back 
um, for a year or two when they're progressing just to make sure that we get them more comfortable with adapting to training stress. But also, as you know, when you do an Ironman, you don't race a lot. And we really want our athletes to get more comfortable being in that three sport environment on race day. And so if we can hold them back from doing an Ironman distance and get them racing more often, race the Olympic distance, race a few half Ironmans, you know, get them out there to get more comfortable with putting swim, bike, run together, then they have better confidence for their training and when they jump to that Ironman distance. Let's talk about nutrition and and not necessarily during the race, but just general and the role of it within the sport. Uh, a lot of people, and, and again, I'm putting my hand up because I've been guilty of, of this at times, that you, you think you, you, you're training for 15, 20 hours a week. You can literally eat anything you want. You're a, uh, a walking, sleeping, eating machine when you're training for an <laughs> Ironman. Uh, but you, you've got to be really careful how you feel. And, and if you're not putting the right stuff in, you're not going to get the results you're chasing. Yeah, that's very true. I I love the topic of nutrition, but I divide it into two categories. The first is just the daily nutrition and prioritizing a real food diet to keep your body healthy, the immune system healthy, to give you the the nutrients that you need to just keep you functioning well in life, um, controlling your appetite, helping you develop a good relationship with food. These are all things that I, when I work with athletes and for myself, I clump into that category of daily nutrition. Then the fun part comes when an athlete starts training for an event and we get to use that word sports nutrition. And I don't keep that exclusive to just what an athlete is consuming during a workout. But sports nutrition to me is helping you prime your body for the workout and to recover for the next workout. So I love this idea of a, a real food diet throughout the day to nourish you and then your sports nutrition strategies to help set you up for good workouts to help you you know, perform well during the workout and then to help you recover well after the workout well, you mentioned having a healthy relationship with food and and it's funny we've spoken about it here on the podcast before with regards to not necessarily eating disorders but there there are a lot of people in the sport who are obsessed with their weight and and getting to to racing weights. Talk to me about your thoughts on on that and 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 being so wrapped up that again counting calories and and calories in calories out it it's it comes it becomes quite difficult to deal with as an athlete that you're just obsessing over something that you probably shouldn't be that concerned over. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, this is a, a, a part of being a part of the field of a- athletics is the relationship that athletes have with food, but more so with their body, because the body is the machine. It, it's what you carry with you through every workout on race day. And there's also the aesthetic side and the pressures that people feel with how their body looks. Um, a lot of athletes feel that they don't even look like an athlete. And so they have a hard time validating their, their training. And to, to share something interesting that me and my husband, Corel, we, we never weigh ourselves. We never focus on a race weight. We've never done this. We, we actually had to buy a scale a few years ago because we started traveling a lot and we needed to weigh our suitcases. <laughs> so, so we have a scale, but it, it's, it's covered in dust in, in our garage. 
and uh, we, we have to change the batteries a lot because it just dies. Um, but but it never gets used only for, for weighing suitcases. Um, the only time I would say that the scale has a, a great purpose is for hydration purposes, but that that's another talk. But as far as this this idea of athletes and their relationship with food, you know, we, we understand that there are many uh, practices or methodologies to using food for fuel and also using food or perhaps not using food to change the physiology of the body. So perhaps changing the, the chemistry of the body to change how the, the metabolic processes work so that we can get more out of our performance. Uh, most of the time we surround this with endurance performance because we know that fatigue and, and, and running out of our glycogen and dehydration are, are issues, are big limiters for performance. So having said all that, knowing that there are ways to use food to enhance performance, it's very important that we, and I clump you know, nutrition professionals, uh, I'm really speaking to the, the sports dietitians out there, but we as nutrition experts, that we have to be very careful with our approaches and how we deliver messages to athletes because the road that we don't want athletes to go down is developing a disordered pattern of eating and to become too obsessed with food. So it's really, really, really important that athletes understand that, you know, when it comes to body weight, when it comes to being healthy, when it comes to improving our performance, there are strategies but some athletes are more susceptible for developing uh, the di- eating disorders. And some athletes in general just have a very unhealthy relationship with food and the body. And by working on that, they actually can improve their performance. Yeah, absolutely. Marnie, and then just talking Kona in itself and, and the, the race that it is and, and what it is. If I say the word Kona, what do you think? Ah, warm, especially in the fall right now. Um, Kona, we, on our Trimarni kits, we actually have the the islands and um, it's hard to see them. We we did that purposely, but uh, every athlete dreams of Kona. It's kind of what gets athletes started. I I don't know. Did you see Kona before you did your first um, Ironman or triathlon? No, I, I only found out, and, and I think I know where you're going on this. I didn't. I mean, I obviously got involved in the sport yep. and only from there was exposed to, yep. to, to the big island. Right, right. And so it, it's either way. Some athletes see Kona and they're like, oh my gosh, I want to do that. Or athletes are in the sport and then they're like, wow, is that really even a goal? I would love to be there. Um, so when I think of Kona, I just think of a really big dream. Um, some athletes, they'll even say to, to me and my husband, they'll say, you know, I know it's it's never something I'm able to achieve, but I would love to to be able to race on the big island. Yeah, I feel exactly the same way, and it's so funny. We've got a—I'm not going to mention any names—but there's a coach here in South Africa who's got quite a few athletes that go over every year. And and a couple of years ago at Ironman South Africa, one of her athletes had just qualified, and I was chatting to him, and she was there. And I said, I said to her, the only way I'm going to get to Kona is if I outlive everyone in my age group. <laughs> and she looked at me and she said, "I could get you to Kona, but you have to listen." Yeah, it's a. <laughs> What's interesting, I, I went, we were in Kona this year because my husband, he did, he did the race. He qualified at Mont Blanc and, um, he, 
this was his second time in Kona. We both did Kona last year. This was my fifth time to Kona. I've raced it four times. And uh, this was my first time going as a spectator. And I have to say, I, I learned a lot. I, I learned just from looking at the athletes, I could see the the dedication and the sacrifices that people had made, but I also saw the strong support systems around them. Uh, obviously, I'm making a lot of generalizations of who I saw, but it's definitely a different part of the Ironman and perhaps a very small percentage when you think about all these races that being the best of the best athletes, but they definitely have some characteristics that help them excel beyond just good genetics and, and a good coach and a good training plan. Um, the other thing is that, boy, did I have a lot of fun there. <laughs> I want to keep going back to Kona because I can train on the same courses at all the pros. I'm not stressed. I can do every event that's going on on race week. And, and then I get my endorphin rush by watching the race. So I just want to keep going back and watching. <laughs> I've I've only ever watched one Ironman, Monty. I, I don't know if I can oh, keep really? going back to watch. I, I watched that one. I was like, I'm never doing that again. I have to race these things. <laughs> I, I cannot watch them. Which race was that? It was funnily enough. It was Ironman South Africa, and I was announcing. So I was on the I was on the carpet, and I just said next year, no, nope, sorry, I'm I'm doing this race. I I cannot watch another one. I have to be part of it. So uh, it's interesting. Uh, I guess that there's less pain watching it, but it's uh, it's still a long day on the side of the road as a spectator. It's uh it's it's hard work being a spectator. Yeah, yeah, we have a lot of uh, key events for our athletes, and we try to pick one Ironman each year for, to try to encourage a lot of our athletes to do. And um, either Corel and I are on the sidelines, maybe racing, but we were at Montreblanc. I was on the sidelines cheering for our athletes, and I was so exhausted by the end of the night. They were all up and watching the final finishers, and I couldn't even take another step. <laughs> It felt like you'd raised, I'm sure. If you know, where, where's my medal? <laughs> if people want to find out more about you and and your coaching, uh, I know you've got a pretty impressive website as well. Where where can they go to find out more? Yeah, uh, trymarniecoach.com is our website. I'm also on social media. An easy way to find us is to Google Trymarni, and it should come up with our various social media outlets: Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Well, Moni, what I'll do is I'll pop the link in the show notes to this episode as well so people can click straight through if they want to learn more about you and, and what you guys do. And I know you've got uh, some training camps uh, coming up as well and all the details are uh, on the website. So it's trymarniecoach.com is where you can get those. Marnie, thank you so much for your time here today. Uh, I look forward to getting you back to talk about the individual disciplines and, and some of the things that you've done to get better over the years. But we'll save that for another time. Thanks for your time today. I look forward to it. Thank you for having me. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Kona Edge. Don't forget to connect with us on social media. Simply search for the Kona Edge.